Welcome to Trekking Awesome. I'm Libby. I'm Jason. And today we are talking about Time and Again. Voyager, Season 1, Episode 4. Mm, Star Trek Voyager. I actually, I have to say, like, I love Voyager. Me too. It's one of my, it's one of those that I didn't watch until later in life. Mm-hmm. Like, after, obviously, after it was already off air. Mm-hmm. But it really, like, I don't know, there's just a lot about it that I liked. Because it, it had elements that were familiar, yet... It was unique enough that it brought a whole new interesting story to it. Um, yeah, I actually I thought that the the fun thing about Voyager was the idea that we could um, that we could like explore this entire new co- quadrant. You know, I mean, not that exploring the Alpha Quadrant was getting dull by any stretch of the imagination, but oh, yeah. but but the Delta Quadrant was it was it just. It was one of those things where everything felt so brand new mm-hmm. and so every species that they encounter um was it was really cool um to just see all the different you know yeah and i think it also did something great for like the story arcs of several episodes whereas you know like in the other series there was always backup like you know a couple of hours away or maybe you know yeah just around the corner yeah With this it was they're really we're out there on our yeah. own yeah it was really exciting there was something that felt really um like frontier about it yeah and, and I, that was it was definitely that bringing back that final frontier it really really did and i i, I so I, I actually i'm just like a huge fan of voyager the funny thing about it is though i'm mm-hmm. not a huge fan of janeway and uh, we'll have to get into why at some point i mean I, we can talk about it this episode i think this is, think as, this good is good as any yeah as good as any um, with janeway. um but it's one of those things as a feminist obviously i love janeway for mm-hmm. all the right reasons but as a fan of the show um, and as a yeah. fan of good writing, I feel like they did a huge disservice to her character. And frankly, I guess the thing that bugs me the most is that there are such great female characters on mm-hmm. Voyager. Janeway, to me, is not one of them. Like, you know, Belana Torres is a phenomenal female character. I mean, how yeah, many no, female chief great. engineers do you get, you know? You, you really, besides you, McDougal. For besides me. McDougal. Um, <laughs> for one episode. But yeah. Yeah, you get, I think you get some really good episodes out of Janeway though so it's yeah. like you're not Janeway yeah. but there are some episodes where you get some really good stuff out of her she's a really I think I have a love-hate relationship with you know, Janeway like I some th- episodes I'm just like yes Janeway and other episodes I'm like no Janeway exactly. why <laughs> in the same way it's 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 like the part of me who's like the evolved male wants to like yeah Janeway she's a female captain way to go and then like there's part of me that's like, oh, get this bitch off, or get this lady off my ship, you know? It's like, I really... It's like, a good thing I learned to bleep today. <laughs> I know, great. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. Well, but, but, the thing, but the thing about the thing about Janeway, well, it, it's less about her being a woman, which oh, I yeah, honestly... It really I it's honestly about could, her making poor decisions. It's her poor decision making. It yeah. drives me fakakta. Like, oh, I agree with you. Like, I just, every, like, all the time, I'm just like, why would you do that? Exactly. Um, but I think, I think, you know, going back to this episode, this is one of the, those episodes where, you know, it's early on. So, I mean, we're mm-hmm. like basically three episodes in at this point. I mean, if you count Four. caretake, well, but caretakers caretaker one and two. two yeah. yeah. So basically three episodes in. Um, 
and they're everything in the Delta Quadrant is new and they're mm. so they're sort of maybe is a bit of an excuse for her in this episode. Mm. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I get I mean, we'll talk about, you know, that as we talk about you know, as we talk about our different things that we're going to talk about today. But I think, yeah. So are mm. you are you what what do you want to do you know actually i kind of want to defend this one today okay okay yeah i've been defending them a lot lately no it's fine i well maybe because yeah i mean i think it makes sense that you're defending them more because i feel like i feel like if you're you were born into fandom i came to fandom later in life and so it makes a lot of sense i I feel like next next episode when we talk about some enterprise uh, i'm going to be defending that one too because you have been so staunchly opposed to it, so I still be, am. That's going to be so much fun. I, I can't wait till you finally find because there are little hidden gems in Enterprise, but we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll yeah. To that next time. Yeah. So okay. Um, so so back to time and again. Um. So okay. Yeah. So you'll defend. I feel good about that because this episode was such a mm, for me. Like I had so much trouble with it. So. Oh, I know. Um. But why don't you? Uh. Why don't you give us a synopsis? I think I will this time. Alrighty. Sounds All good. Right. Early in their voyage home to the Alpha Quadrant, this episode highlights Janeway's disinterest in finding the most direct route back to Earth. To set the scene, Tom is ending his duty shift on the bridge and attempts to enlist Ensign Kim on a double date with the much-talked-about Delaney sisters. Harry, not wanting to miss out on some exciting translator assembly diagnostics, tells Tom he can't go. Before Tom convinces him otherwise, sensors detect a polaric energy explosion. Meanwhile, Kess, doing her best Obi-Wan, senses a great disturbance in the Force. In a performance that Miriana Sirtis would be proud of, Kess rushes to the bridge to see what is the matter. As Voyager reaches the source of the disturbance, they discover a planet ravaged by a horrendous explosion. No person, no animal, no plant survived the devastation of the Polaric Blast. In classic Star Trek fashion, almost the entire command structure beams down to the ruined planet to investigate. It is quickly observed that the planet used the unstable Polaric energy to power their infrastructure. Tom notes that a broken timepiece still has the digital readout of the exact time the explosion occurred. As the team continues to investigate, Tom begins experiencing something strange. Before Janeway can say, Beam me up, Scotty, she and Paris slips through time and finds themselves almost exactly one day before the explosion takes place. It is soon discovered that the duo fell through a subspace fracture caused by the explosion. The remaining crew begins to mount a rescue attempt that includes some talk of waves and wibbly-wobbly timey-wimey stuff. After a quick wardrobe change by Janeway in Paris, they soon find themselves mixed up with some eco-terrorists who think they are government operatives thanks to a nosy little brat who saw them when they first appeared out of nowhere. Soon, Janeway finds herself in a standoff with the extremists as the Voyager crew attempts to cut a rift in time that will allow them to rescue her. Only one problem. The rift that they are cutting is the very thing that will cause the explosion that kills everyone. With some quick deus ex machina thinking on Janeway's part, she pulls out her phaser and uses it to seal the rift before it forms. Before you can say, but wait, the grandfather paradox, 
They are back on the bridge, and Tom is pestering Ensign Kim for a date with the Delaney twins. Kess reminds us all why we are so glad Seven of Nine exists, and the credits roll. Okay, so um, I kind of wanted to get us started off by talking about the Prime Directive, or lack of Prime Directive, <laughs> in this episode. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting. Um, it's a really interesting thing to talk about, especially with regards to Voyager, with the fact that they're so far away from the Federation, they could just choose to ignore the Prime Directive entirely. But Janeway, um, in her best attempt is always trying to adhere to it as best she can. Now, obviously being put in some extreme circumstances throughout the series, she's not able to. Um, and this is a good episode, a good episode that um, highlights that. She's, um, they, they're, they're down there, they, they know this explosion's about to take place. Um, they're kind of, it's kind of the foreground for the temporal prime directive that we hear so much about in, you know, later episodes as well as, as well as Enterprise. But I think it's, I think it's a really good, um, it's a really good foundation for that, um, in that they're trying hard not to change the natural layout of things, but because this episode is such a, you know, it has such a causal loop of, like, that causal loop paradox going on, um, we really get, uh, a good reason to break it in this instance. Well, I, yeah, I mean, obviously, I think I think this is one of those weird situations where, you know, uh, it, it makes sense to, quote, break the prime directive. I don't mm -hmm. think that, I don't even know that this even counts really as breaking it because they're just trying to mm -hmm. limit the damage that they've already done. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's fair to suggest that Janeway does her best in this case. But for me, and this is a question that I constantly find myself asking what the hell does the prime directive mean does it mean that they're not allowed to prevent things like natural disaster does it mean that they're you know they, they c c talk pretty consistently about mm -hmm. allowing a species to progress naturally but a species that is about to die you know, mm -hmm. is not going to progress naturally. There's no natural progression for yeah. that planet anymore. And there are, are instances, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of, um, it's, I can't think of the name of the episode, but it's the episode where Data, Pen Pals is the name of the episode. Oh, yeah. Um, Data, gets, Data gets a, like, a friend, and, you know, they end up saving her planet from some sort of volcanic eruption, right? Yeah. And, the, and, and this, is, this is one of those things that they can do sort of surreptitiously like they can save the planet you know without them knowing that they're there except for this one little girl whose memory they erase or something um, yeah. yeah so i mean so okay so so this is one of those situations and that makes perfect sense to me mm -hmm. they can't influence personally or directly the outcome of you know this planet's natural progression mm -hmm. but they can intercede when it's like planet-wide destruction right that's sort of what they establish with pen pals, okay? Well, and, they and they're, establish they're, it, but they they also they also make a point that they're breaking the prime directive by doing that. 
is this a see to me in that episode what they talked about and we're getting way off subject here but what they talked yeah, about we're kind of talking about that episode not yeah but but I, but but i think it stands and i think this is one of those situations where the prime directive debate has to happen at some point and maybe this is the point at which the prime directive debate can happen because okay. this is one of those fundamental star trek principles that seems to not be a fundamental principle whatsoever <laughs> um, i think what it is and i think the thing that you're kind of missing is it's a storytelling device it's a foil to the characters it's it's a yeah that's i think that's the best way of describing it it's a, it's a foil because basically what it is is it shows the prime directive is this like ever looming character in star trek where i mean throughout throughout all of star trek except for obviously enterprise because they haven't developed it yet in there but essentially what it is is it saying okay we need to allow the rest we need to stop being an interfering um you know we need to stop being somebody who meddles in the the affairs of someone else we need to allow them to come to their own conclusions and then once they're advanced enough then we can talk to them um the deal is is with all of the instances where we break the prime directive including this one well maybe not so much this one but with pen pals and with a few of the other ones basically what they're doing is making themselves feel better and it's making the audience feel better as a result i i i'm sorry i have to i have to interject and i have to disagree because what mm-hmm. because the episodes that i'm talking about specifically and another one springs to mind it's the one mm-hmm. where um Worf's brother tries to convince um mm-hmm. picard to help you know prevent this planet-wide disaster that's going to wipe out every mm-hmm. species well, they on don't, the planet. Not when they don't prevent the disaster, they just pick up all the people and Right, but they planet. prevent the disaster in pen pals. That's my point. Uh, yeah. And so, and so, and my question is, and this is the question, you know, Picard makes this like really horrifying speech about, you know, and sometimes the prime directive is difficult to, you know, it's difficult to follow. What you're saying here, what you're trying to do is you're trying to, I mean, in some instances, the prime directive makes perfect sense to me, right? It makes sense that you don't, you know, you know, meet this sort of quote uncontacted tribe mm-hmm. um, and say, "Hey, here's a television, and uh, here's a gun, and uh, here's some Twinkies. Uh, have fun, right?" Yeah. Um, yeah, that no. that makes absolute sense to me. Go Merc. Uh, yeah, Merc. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that makes perfect sense to me. Um, but when it doesn't make sense to me is when, you know. It, 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 so taking the same uncontacted tribe and and there's floodwaters that are rising around them. Okay. And we know that floodwaters are rising around them. They don't know because they don't have whatever it is that they need in order to understand that. And so, you know, we have an opportunity here to build a, a bank of sandbags so mm-hmm. to prevent this tribe from getting washed away. Uh, and we don't. Right. I yeah. mean, this is this is that to me where where okay. there's a big difference between not interfering and actively standing aside as somebody as a planet is mm-hmm. killed. Fair and enough. in 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 this episode we're dealing with the latter. In this episode we're dealing with a situation where Janeway is looking at the face of the little boy who is admittedly obnoxious. Um I and just want to curb stomp that kid. Uh, well, you know I <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> He he looks he look who does he look like he looks like that little kid off of Love Actually, um, uh, the little alien one you know um, yeah, that everyone's like he's cute sort of um, but not uh, actually and his 
Anyway, <laughs> he actually, you know who he looks like? Oh my gosh, it just dawned on me. He looks like the offspring of Guy Fieri. Oh my god, he does. He's got that huge head and the spiky blonde hair. Anyway, yeah, no, um, was obnoxious. Yeah. So okay, so okay, so Janeway doesn't want to kill the admittedly, or you know, is willing to let the admittedly obnoxious kid and everybody else on the planet just like die in a horrible explosion. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things. It's like they did it to themselves. Though, but that's the but that does that first that's of all she thinks at that point. But first of all, yeah, okay, and again, we're sort of ignoring the fact that actually Voyager, through all of their like, hey, let's just go check this thing out, um, is the reason why that this happened mm. to begin with. Yeah. But what gets me is this idea that standing aside while a planet you know, is engulfed in some kind of, and let's call it, let's call it a natural disaster. It's not technically in this case, but let's just sort of, for the sake of argument, suggest that it's it's not a war situation. There's not a situation mm-hmm. like this is not a situation where like people are fighting and they have to take a side. You know that I can definitely understand. This mm-hmm. is a situation where, um, you know, something tragic and accidental has happened, and they have an opportunity to prevent it and Janeway you know makes the point that we can't prime directive and this is one of those situations where the prime directive to me is one of the most horrendous Mm -hmm. concepts ever conceived even by Roddenberry the the point is the the deal is is it's it's a double-edged sword it cuts both ways Um, and this is probably going to be the last thing I want to I really want to say about it but because it is one of those deals. It's like, think about it. You encounter, say, say the Enterprise, or in this case, Voyager, happens upon a culture that is, you know, uh, they believe in a god. And they believe, you know, that that god wants them to shine shoes for the rest of their life. Something ridiculous, you know? And just by the sheer presence of them popping down and saying hi... All of their beliefs are shaken, and they are like, "Oh no, there is no shoe shine god." Um, so they stop believing in it. But be, as a result, their culture takes a drastically different turn. Um, the point of that is, is you can't do that. We can't. We can't get down there and tell them that their god is false or that they're the way they're doing things is wrong. Um, but as a result, we can't step in and, you know, come in and try to save their entire planet from nuclear nuclear apocalypse, because if we do that, then they know we were there, you know, interfering, even if it's like maybe not right at that time, maybe they find evidence of it later on, but it shakes the entire foundation of their belief system, and then, you know, but that, that's kind of the point, is, is it, it's that they can't you can't have one without the other. Like, I, you can't I have do to, one, I you just, can't do the other. I have know? to disagree. I mean, I think there's a huge difference between, you know, walking into a Catholic church with a science textbook and saying, hey, guess what, guys? There is no God. Um, and then, and then, and, 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 like, preventing a gunman from wiping the entire church out. You know, I mean, like, yeah. th- th- those are two completely different things. Well, um, I mean, here's the thing, though. Think of it this way. In, in your analogy, you're talking about, okay, it's different than coming in with a science textbook. That's not what it, that's not what they're doing. Essentially, what they're doing is they're beaming into the church, yeah. and they look completely different. Like, and they're saying, "Hey, I'm an alien from Zornak Seven, versus 
that same alien coming into the church and stopping the gunmen. Yeah, but that's but again, the see what po- I mean? Yeah, I get what you're saying, but but the, first of all, they're, they're just, just the fact of them showing up in the church shakes their entire belief. But system. so what? It doesn't matter because they're alive, you know. I well, mean, yeah, they're, yeah, they're alive. This, this but only, then, this, but this, then, what if they become the next? You know, I guess in their instance, I guess what if they're the next Dominion that wants to enslave the entire portion of a galaxy? The, the, you can't, you can't make the Hitler baby argument for me in this case because, because, because but the, pro- can, but because the problem, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but the problem, the problem conceptually is that you have this self-righteous race that has this incredible technology that refuses to use it to intercede when natural disaster strikes. That's a horrifying concept. It's horrifying to think. I'll put it another yeah, way. No, it is horrifying, but it's also pragmatic. It's absolutely not pragmatic. Okay, it may be pragmatic, but it's not humane. And this is the thing that gets me. These, okay. are, th- these are the questions that, to me, the Federation never quite answers, right? Like this idea of pragmatism, practicality, you know, utilitarianism, socialism, all these isms yeah. that make a lot of sense except the humanity of the of the situation. And to me, the federation never quite answers the hum, the humanity of mm-hmm. their existence. I think that the prime directive and particularly in this instance and particularly in the way that Janeway I would argue clumsily wields it is horrifying mm-hmm. on so many levels. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things to realize with Janeway and the Prime Directive is this is one of her first commands. So she's not, I don't really think she's like well, as well versed in the Prime Directive. The other thing is, is, um, with regards to, you know, the Prime Directive in this instance, I mean, I kind of lost my thread. Sorry. Um, but yeah, it's just you're wrong and I'm right. <laughs> no, I mean I, I get it. I get that the prime directive is like one of the guiding yeah. principles of the federation, but it's also one of these. That's princi- what I was gonna say. Okay. Sorry, go ahead, finish. Well, it's one of those things. It's one of these things where the prime directive is also one of the biggest problems of the federation. It I is, would I would argue is. that it's that it's 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 a flawed yeah and self righteous principle that only works if you're the dominant force in the universe and and or at least in their quadrant of the galaxy okay the deal is though and this is what i was going to say that i forgot a minute ago it's what it is is it's a guiding principle that keeps them from being the authoritative or the police of the galaxy basically what they're trying to do is try it it keeps them focused on their mission of exploration and discovery it also advocates them of responsibility and that's the problem it's not their responsibility to help i mean who hang on hang on in the universe of star trek who helped earth whenever earth was about to destroy itself in their world war three no one. They just let it. Yeah, you know, the Vulcans knew about it. The Vulcans knew about Earth, and and like if you watch Enterprise, they there's a there's a great story where the Vulcans kind of came and observed Earth and and saw that they were about to destroy themselves after World War II and then left. Um, so nobody stopped them because they're like, no, they need to develop on their own, and they developed, and Earth became this great in in Star Trek universe became this great guiding force in the federation and helped form the federation um with regards to like if you know earth went out and started or if the vulcans went out and started doing that earth would not have been the same planet 
would not have been the same guiding force. They wouldn't have gone through their mistakes to come out more enlightened. I definitely understand what you're saying, and I absolutely can agree with the Prime Directive in that capacity. I can agree with the Vulcans Mm -hmm. saying, you know what, we're not going to get involved in this world war, you know? We're not going to get involved in in these skirmishes. That makes total sense to me. The difference, to me, is a difference of degree, right? Mm -hmm. It's a difference between... It's a difference between wiping off well it's okay it's a difference between wiping out a portion of a species and wiping out an entire planet right what the difference and 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 what bugs me about the way that the federation wields this sort of dogma and let's call it what it is it is absolutely dogma is that they do so with a smugness that i find distasteful they are absolutely smug about the way that they can either intercede or not intercede on behalf of planets. And I'm not suggesting that they start beaming down and, you know, convincing people of the righteousness of the Federation cause. What yeah. I'm suggesting is that when they can, without having to have contact mm-hmm. with any person on the planet or as little contact as physically possible, mm-hmm. the humane thing to do is not to let a planet annihilate itself or be annihilated by a natural disaster. Okay. So with that thought, though, at what point do you stop becoming the explorers of the galaxy and just go around looking for planets that are about to be annihilated? You ab- with, with, with people this is there. not a question of whether or not they should go around looking for these planets. This is a question of whether or not if they're in the vicinity and can do something. I'll put it another way. If you saw somebody in the street and mm-hmm. a car was coming and that person didn't see that car, would you not try and move that person out of the way of that car? Well, of course. Okay, so did, but it's, at it's, that it's, point but do you no, then... No, what the, you're talking but, about in this situation is not necessarily moving out of the way of the car, moving somebody out of the way of the car, what it's doing is running out in front of a car to save a squirrel. Like, it's no, sad it, that th- that squirrel's going to die. That's the problem. But you don't you do are, that. But this is exactly the problem, is that this is the Federation's mentality, is they are treating planets of sentient beings as squirrels. And they're not squirrels, they're sentient beings. They're people, right? Okay. Or whatever alien race they are. So, and that is a... It's a heartless. It's, it's absolutely heartless. It is heartless, but that's the point of law. Law is heartless. Law is blind, and that's what the prime directive is. It's a law. And if you look at the it's times, flawed. And, well, it is flawed. But if you look at the times when the prime directive is broken in the series, in universe, the crew is always backed into a corner. There's some extenuating circumstances that force them to break the prime directive. Um, so, so the argument of the prime directive, like. On paper, it's a great principle. In practice, there are going to be some there there are some problematic things. Like yes, people will die if you follow it to the letter. Whole worlds will die. Whole portions of the galaxies will die. But that's kind of the deal. Is like this if is we the, if they weren't out there with their technology, they were going to die anyway. This is the same to me. The same mentality is saying, well, technology. Well, okay. So and I, I get okay. So the the, the 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 problem of the prime directive is that this the idea is well, if we weren't here, this would happen. Yeah. So 
we're just going to pretend like we're not here, right? We're just okay. going to... But again, that's a problem. They're literally turning a blind eye. This is this screams Vulcan logic to me, for the record. This the, this does not scream humanity in any capacity. To me, this screams And the Federation is Vulcan not logic. just humans. Right, but that's part of the problem, right? Well, no, mm-hmm. that's not... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, the Federation would be great if it were for all these dang Vulcans and, you know, all Bo- these other Bolians and, yeah. Yeah. Um, Trillions, yeah. Bajorans yeah, no. um, okay. aren't part of the Federation until much, much later. They're not a part of the Federation by Voyager? Yeah. Not at the beginning of Voyager. I think uh, no, by my, the end of Deep Space Nine is whenever they officially become right. Which Voyager is Voyager starts before Deep Space Nine ends. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah. Look up the timeline, maybe. Yeah. So okay. So so by the time this episode airs, the Bajorans aren't. The Bajorans aren't part. But anyway. But so my point. Okay. I get your point. No, no, no. You don't <laughs> okay. because here's the problem. <laughs> the problem is that is that we're. What I think about the Federation, and I think this is maybe the biggest problem, Mm -hmm. is that the one thing that the Federation values, sentient life, Mm -hmm. is the one thing that they're most willing to sacrifice. But see, if you look at the episodes where they break the Prime Directive, they're breaking the Prime Directive to really support what you're saying. Like, they, they break it in in these altruistic fashions to save planets. That's exactly... They, there shouldn't be a prime directive that prevents people from saving lives. Like, that's the problem. Well, the, the point is, is that the, the prime directive, the, the heart of the... The... What is it? Not the, the, not the letter of the law, but the, uh, the feeling of the law. Spirit the of spirit the law. The spirit of the law. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, we are a beer and a half in, and of course I'm a lightweight. But the spirit of the law is that don't interfere with the natural development of a culture. You don't Fair. so don't don't bring down technology like like in the original TOS. There's a series. There's an episode where the Klingons are providing gunpowder rifles to one tribe, and the other tribe on the planet is still shooting bows and arrows you know yeah sure which are um, actually more effective than gunpowder yeah, rifles for a long time but whatever but you know what i you know the point um basically what what's happening is they really don't want to interfere with cultures and let them progress on their own and then the letter of the law says let them progress on their own don't interfere with anything regardless yeah, of what they're right period. don't interfere period and, and i think i think i yeah. think that i think that needs to be an ellipsis and it needs to yeah. say don't interfere ellipsis except in extreme circumstances yeah. and a planet-wide destruction i would call that extreme yeah. right a, a well, planet I mean, of they, 20 million sentient yeah. beings is about to be wiped away or 300 yeah. million or 7 billion or whatever yeah. is about to be wiped away then the enterprise or voyager okay. or no i get what you're saying but okay so a great example of this and uh, Star Trek Into Darkness um, the beginning of that episode the beginning of that movie it, you see you know them trying to save a planet from a mass extinction event from a volcano basically they're dropping this reactor down oh, inside right. the volcano oh, yeah. uh-huh. to freeze it to keep from killing these indigenous people who whatever they're, the thought of the Prime Directive is, uh, the thought of the Prime Directive is a f- planet will eventually develop to a point where they don't need a deity where they don't need these guiding forces and they they're guided by 
you know, they, they, they know what's right. They know what's best for the people. They'll, they develop into a pretty coherent race that is one united planet. That's the point of the Federation. So in interfering, you know, something goes horribly wrong and Kirk goes and runs and steals some, you know, thing to distract the people so that way the volcano will stop whatever. But yeah, then yeah. as a result I remember. Yeah. Then as a result, the last little scene the last little scenelet there is, you know, they see the yeah, Enterprise come right. out of the ocean and then they then they then they create a little I god did, that yes. is the Enterprise. And so now that that planet is going to be worshiping the god of Enterprise, basically. And that's, yeah, this is the this the is the is like, like the Tom Navy um, religion. The Tom if, Navy religion. Yeah, if yes. you're familiar with the yeah, the Islanders, the Tom Navy religion. I can't remember what maybe a Fiji. I want to say, yeah, but I, I don't one remember the, one of the South Pacific Islands. Yeah, yeah and no, we know which right. And so and so the the story goes that this person we don't know who his name is lost to history. Um, Tom, he was in the Navy, um, lands, and he has lots of what this uh, particular group of people refer to as cargo, uh, and they form a religion around him, uh, mm-hmm. and they build things like planes and ships. Um, and this is one of those sort of really strange experiences or circumstances mm-hmm. um, where it's difficult to say how much of it is worship and how much of it is is you know sort of maybe idolization like a celebrity yeah it's difficult to say but suffice it to say this is the sort of idea of what would happen you know if if an alien landed um amongst an indigenous people and i get what i and and I, i can get behind the idea that you know federation should not go around like landing on planets and but Again, this is another circumstance in TOS, or rather in yeah. in the in the Kelvin timeline, um, where they're breaking the Prime Directive supposedly, except yeah. not because in this case we're saving a planet, so that's okay somehow, you know. So yeah. So to me, to me, the line is if it's planetary salvation, right? If it's a natural disaster or something like a natural disaster, and I would or argue, or if Wesley Crusher gets caught in a bad situation or if wesley crusher yeah oh yeah Yeah, right oh yeah that episode we'll get to that one one. more reason why i don't like wesley crusher oh we're gonna have no okay uh um, no yeah so i okay so so to me i would argue that the line has to be planetary salvation Whatever no. that means. Now, if, if that, and I'm not saying planetary, if, if, if 15 oh. people are going to survive, whatever the thing is, yeah. then, then it doesn't count. But if it's, if it's going to raise the ground in the way that this, um, what is yeah. it? Pl- platon, no, not platon, Polaric explosion is going to, you know, do, then I think step in. And, and Janeway, her, she's unwilling to step in. It's obvious that she's unwilling to step in from jump. And it's heartless. She comes off as one of the most heartless characters. And she is, kind of. Which is fine, I guess. Um, yeah. She's following the letter of the law. Yeah. And I think that's a good learning experience for a first-time captain. I think she's the first-time captain. They don't really say much about it. I, you know what? Um, there's an episode of uh, Next Gen where her, her name is mentioned as Ensign Janeway. I don't think it's the same person. You don't think? I no, don't know. No, it could be. Because she never talks about... They never talk about her being on Enterprise. I, I would think be they would. Headcanon? Headcanon? Well, okay. Remember the episode with Q, with the two different Qs? Whenever she showed, whenever they bring Riker on board, I'm sure she would have said something about it then. 
But but no. if she were just some like lowly ensign, how does she somewhere? go from ensign to captain in like the course of four years? I'm just is saying. it four years? It's like it's like it's, a decade. It's like it's like it's like maybe five years. It's I mean you can have yeah. Them. I don't think so. Um, All right. <laughs> anyway, so 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 as okay. a first time captain, it's a good it's a good learning experience for her on where to draw that line on the prime directive. Um, now the thing, yeah, I think uh, I I really don't have anything else to say about it. I just wanted to pretend like I had the last word, but you really got it. I <laughs> I think this is a prime directive thing is one of those things where I'll probably struggle with the prime directive as long as I watch Star Trek. Yeah, um, I think that's the point of the prime so directive. Forever. I think that's the point of the prime directive is that it is something to wrestle with. Like, there, yeah. where do you draw the line? This, like, yeah, because clearly you can either draw the line way back here and don't communicate like here's the thing though the prime direct in most instances where the prime directive becomes a problem it's because somebody already broke it to begin with like with that's data like, yeah, da- like you, you brought point. up data data should not have talked to that little girl on that planet whenever she was sending out radio waves she was doing it because she just thought there might happen to be aliens out there just like you know we do with our you know space contacting SETI se- with SETI you know However, you know, Data responded, and he shouldn't have. In this instance, they got there was no breaking of the Prime Directive that got them into this situation. They just kind of fell into a situation. Well, I, I guess in this, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think it's all a matter of like where do you draw the line on the mm-hmm. Prime Directive, and I, I think it's, I actually think it's kind of wonderful that we spend our time wrestling mentally with this. With this yeah. law, right? I mean, obviously it's fictional, but it's a law that it's a law that we struggle with in our daily. Yeah, it really has a good. It really has a good like real world application to that argument. Absolutely, there are situations even right now that I think yeah. you know, is it better to interfere or is it better to stay out of the situation? Exactly. And you know, how many lives have to be lost before yeah. you say, okay, no, somebody has to step in. Yeah. And and I mean, if we could if we could stop a tidal wave from you know crashing into an island nation that devastates them we definitely should do that or one country from genociding another group of people yeah yeah i mean this is i mean and this is in my opinion but some other people would say no we should it's a it's a question that's difficult to answer because we've been i mean because here's the thing though every the history of every nation is built on genocide it's kind of just how it is right but well, I mean, I mean, so I mean, we, what, what leaps? Yeah, I mean, again, it's one of those things where it's difficult. It's a literally impossible to answer question. It really, you know, is. I mean, is is it is it better for us to interfere or is it better for us yeah. to stay out of it? And we're not going to be able to answer it in the half hour that we've already talked about it. Right. <laughs> So now that we need a little bit of a palate cleanser, uh, let's talk about Neelix and Kess. Yeah, I think uh, that's going to be one that's going to be hard to defend. I think I'd rather talk about nuclear apocalypse. Uh, yeah, I kind of <laughs> had a little more fun talking about that. Yeah. Oh um, God. Okay, so let's let's start with let's start with Kess. You go go for it. Um, first of all, I would just like to make mention of the hair helmet that she apparently uh, put on that morning. Oh my god. For like the first three... (laughs) Well, that's the problem with Kess's hair. It's like for the first two seasons it looks like that. 
And then, like, somewhere during, like, midway between, midway of season three, she gets these weird, this weird long hair that just came out of nowhere. Yeah, that like, she apparently grew overnight. Yeah, I she, guess. She used her psychic powers to will her hair exactly. out of her head. Oh, my no, God. It's, okay, I mean, to be fair, Janeway has the bun of steel in this episode. Well, she has a bun of steel for, like, the first, the first four seasons. Yeah, you know, I yeah. mean, that four that thing, that, there, it takes time. year of hell to get that thing to move. Oh, um, God. And, I mean, it was, that was one of those situations where it was just like, oh, my gosh, how do, what kind of hairspray does she use? Oh, I know. It must be, I think it has to be some sort of, like, grab plating situation or, like, reverse grab plating uh, around oh, her man. head. I'm pretty sure that they've erected a level four force field around that thing. <laughs> um. it, has to, it has to be a level four force yeah. field. Oh, so, it's, so it's okay, pretty, so pretty that's completely tangential, and, and I, yeah. I, you know, I shouldn't sit and make fun of Kess's but, hair, but Kess, uh, yeah, no, she's an interesting character to bring on to the bridge of Voyager. You she's know? interesting. Is that the word we're gonna go with? I'm gonna go with interesting because if I if I dive into her character too much you're gonna win this argument um (laughs) right and the thing is is Cass has a lot of redeeming qualities i feel like they just didn't name okay well (laughs) she fills the role of she like okay so here's the thing on every series there's a formula for the crew you have your your tom paris will Riker, captain kirk who's the hot guy who wants to go after tail uh, you have your compassionate person who is typically, I mean, I would say the compassionate one in TOS was, was Ohura. Um, or Chapel, maybe Chapel. Mm, I'm talking about more long lasting crew members. Chapel, Chapel was, was only on, in like a handful. She's in quite a few episodes. Mm, yeah, but she wasn't like a main feature like Ohura was. Um, but then you have, you know, obviously Deanna Troy and then, um, I wish I could remember her name in Enterprise, but you. But in this, it's going to be Kess for at least to start off with, because she's the one that's she's imp- she's she's you know telepathic telepathic empathic she something. telepathic empathic she senses things the way Deanna does, and so she's she fills that role not necessarily of ship's counselor but a, of the emotional kind of um, inspiration of the crew. Well, and I, I can almost get on board with that, but there's so many things. First of all, her vocal affectation during this is so frustrating for me. Yeah. I think it's the actress that does it. It's, it's, yeah, I'm it's sure the it actress, is. Uh, there's know. an episode where they some alien entity takes over her body and uh, and she doesn't have that affectation any longer. And actually, it's probably my favorite kiss episode because oh yeah it's I like I know which one you're talking about it's like oh you're you don't sound like um you know like you're your horse like you've gone horse uh um, sound all breathy <laughs> breathy breathy is an indicator i have to know what happened to that planet can you bring it up on the view screen breathy oh. is an indicator of but, seriousness exactly um um yeah i so okay so yeah. Kess is, I have to say, and I, it's one of those things where the first several seasons of Voyager, I struggle through until Seven of Nine. 
comes because Seven of Nine is one of the better characters in all of Star Trek. Um, okay. They could have ruined that person. They could have ruined that character, and people still would have liked her because uh, look at her. Okay, yeah. Um, but they didn't. She's a great yeah. character. She's one of my favorite characters. I, I think. I think personally, I don't necessarily like. I did not like her character. I loved what they did with her character. I love the yes. stories they put yes. her character. No, no, in. that's that's what I'm they saying. They really developed storylines around her character. I thought her character was not very well developed. With Kess, though, I feel like the character, they gave her a good backstory. Yeah. They gave her a lot of things. They gave her a companion. They gave us a reason to like her, but they didn't execute her well in stories. I agree. And oh, I absolutely I agree feel with that, that, that was. I feel that that may have been a failing in casting on the actress's choice, but I feel like that that may have been the case and then the writers may have just abandoned her character and just couldn't wait to get rid of her i'm not sure i haven't done I enough research on that yeah i don't know i mean I, I i have to agree with that assessment i, I think seven of nine character wise is like an almost uninteresting character mm-hmm. in that they already sort of explored that with um hugh in in iborg well it's not even just um, that it's just that she is this uh that she's spock yeah She's Data, Spock. She's, she's, a, Spock. She's, she's, yeah. she's emotionless yeah. until well, she yeah. has an emotion there's already like a, Spock. There's already a Vulcan on board, right? Like we're already dealing we've with... Got, there's two Vulcans, actually, on, on, on Voyager. Those, yeah. We filled those checkboxes. But, but then the way that they treat her, and, the, and like you said, mm-hmm. the stories that they put her in and the sort of things exactly. that they do with her... It's like, oh, this is a really fascinating character, yeah. and and you like her, and it, I think, I mean, and you end again, up liking her as a result of the stories they put her in, right? And they just do such a great job with it that it's hard not to like her. So, and yeah. I think Jerry Ryan and is that just a costume does make you really like her. I, but I, aside from that, <laughs> Jerry Ryan's a good actress. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where it's like she's not hard to look at, but she's also not a bad mm-hmm. actress. Yeah, I mean, no, Kess I do, isn't hard to look like at. That. Kess is gorgeous. The, yeah. the actress that played her is gorgeous. But I don't um, think she's necessarily a great actress. I mean, I remember seeing her in American History X, and she's, eh. It was just one, it was just one tone. Like, that's her yeah, deal throughout yeah. all of Voyager, through everything else I've seen her in, she was just kind of a one-tone actress. And, I, I mean, no offense to her as a person, because I, um, I know the actress has had her struggles in real life, but... Um, it's just I didn't well, I will, necessarily at, at think the, that she at was the very, that great. At the very minimum, I'll say that the role did not provide her a lot of range. It really did. So, so think, to, to, they didn't give her a lot of room to grow. To be actress, yeah. To so. be fair. To be fair to her as an actress and as a person, I and, you know I I think and, yeah. I think that the the role did not give her a lot of room. Yeah. And I and I anyway. So okay. Yeah. So let's talk about Neelix. Okay, Neelix to me. Um, and this is this is the thing that I feel like maybe I should have given you my note on it. I feel like they treat him at least early on in the series, and especially you see it in this in this episode quite uh, quite well. Is that they treat him like a boob? He is such a goober. Yeah. Um, no, I totally and it's agree this, with that. It's this trope of oh, the indigenous folk of the lo- of the land are they oh, don't know so as true. much as us, and and. I feel that with Neelix later on, after the, I think maybe after they got rid of Kes, or at least after they broke that duo up, um, you really got a chance to see him grow as a character. And I mean, as the godfather of um, young Naomi Wildman, you see a lot of growth in his character all the way up until the point where he leaves Voyager. But spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> Ten year old spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, who you 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 really get a chance 
to to see him grow. But in these early episodes, he's just another indigenous person in the population. They treat him like a pet. They do treat him like a pet. They, you know, like I'm, a dog. Like as in, well, it's yeah. not even that. They treat him like Tonto. He's yeah. Tonto. Oh, absolutely. It's like, yeah, hey, totally do you agree. know anything about this area? Do you know anything about the people in this area? Oh, I, I, not as such. I don't know that many things. I don't know anything about. And it's just like. Why couldn't they just say, no, I don't know anybody here? No, they had to make him look impotent on yes, the bridge. Yes, absolutely. And oh, I so agree with you. I know, and I'm, I know I'm supposed to be defending this episode, but well, I, it's, there, it's hard to defend Neelix in this episode. I think, well, and I mean, you know, you could, the defense that I would argue is that is maybe that was intentional. I mean, maybe yeah. we're supposed to be uncomfortable with the way they treat Neelix. Because it, I don't it, think so. I think it really is yeah, supposed to be I, comic I think relief. That, yeah, they play him as they play him for laughs, and I, yeah. I mean that that's that's my biggest issue with Neelix. And and the thing is, is that like, you know, when, once you finally get his backstory, seasons in, oh man, and it's just like Jesus, his whole family was wiped out. I mean, his his whole, whole planet. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, you get this. I mean, it is brutal. Oh my and God. you know his you know I mean this the episode that I'm thinking of is the episode where he dies and comes back to life. Oh my God, that one is hard. And he loses his faith, and he loses, and it's like the you know oh his happiness God. is predicated upon the fact that he believes genuinely that he will see his family again. Yeah, you know I mean because how else could you possibly be happy when your entire family has been wiped out? Oh, I know. And. You know, but in these early episodes and in the, in the, in this first season, mm-hmm. it's just you know he's he's brightly colored, right? Oh, yeah. He's got a flamboyant fam- clothing, yeah, flamboyant attitude, flamboyant. You know, he's always burning things and he's a bad cook and you yeah. know you know he he's like obsessed with Leola root, um, although not at this point. Um, yeah, I know you get that in a little bit. Little, yeah, a little later. But I mean, it's one of those things where we, man, Neelix is he's just a maltreated character yeah, for the first few seasons the other thing about neelix that they did with his character in regards to kes is they really made him this controlling over oppressive boyfriend yes it's terrible yeah. it's one of the honestly the kes neelix pairing is possibly one of the worst pairings for so yeah. many reasons yeah no, i agree you get this you get these uh yeah it's just ugh. I think we really need to move on and talk about the time issues. It seems like kind of a running deal where we have time travel or some sort of like displacement episode as a theme, especially within Voyager. I think more so in Voyager than with any other series, obviously next to Enterprise. But they start playing with this this theory of, of time travel a lot. Um, and it's kind of interesting how they do it here um we get this like closed loop where you know the voyager crew gets to go on this really awesome adventure into the past into trying to you know trying to open up you know these time rifts but then they take it all away from you there at the end i i have to say that this is one of those situations where i actually it's funny because Typically, I am not a fan of any time travel storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the the um, sort of plot device in Harry Potter that I'm most pissed off about is the time turner. Um, uh, I still like feel flustered by it. Um, in yeah. fact, the most recent um, 
uh, the play uh, that deals almost specifically with um, the Harry Potter and the Cursed Child that deals mostly with time turners. It's like one of the worst versions. Uh, spoiler alert. Sorry, I know you haven't read it yet. Um, yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, what? It's been like five years. Um, it's sitting it's on our shelf. It's been five years. It's been like two. It's been sitting on our shelf the whole time, so I'm not, yeah. you know, it's your fault. Uh, um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so I mean, I, I'm typically really frustrated with time travel, except in Doctor Who, which I just sort of except like for whatever reason i can just well, like that's the main point of doctor who traveling through time and because, space. because in doctor who time travel is magic right like yeah um so i, I yeah i think and typically even in star trek i can just sort of like yeah okay it's a time travel episode like you know i i kind of don't like the ones where they go back to like 60s earth or 40s earth or you know any of the ones where they're like back on earth for whatever reason yeah for some reason i just i i don't know i guess i just don't like them but um i I can appreciate that but uh typically the ones where they're like in space and some sort of time rift happens uh, and then they have Mm -hmm. to like go and you know somehow reverse time or whatever it is you know i could typically like get on board with it for some reason this one rubbed me the wrong way and i i think it had something to do with the wibbly wobbly nature of the whole thing you know it was it was so wibbly wobbly from the from the very beginning right like they experience the whatever it was the shock wave and then they're in the i don't know it 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 just yeah no it 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 is it does have this it does have a very strange quality to it, um, especially this one. Like you said, like you said, it's, it's very difficult to kind of like place this one with the rest of the time episodes that they have. Um, it just, I, I have to agree with you that it does rub the audience the wrong way, but it does give you kind of a good setting into playing with time in future episodes and how that how that temporal di- time direct uh, prime directive is going to work. Okay, I, you know, I think. I know exactly what it was that frustrated me about this episode. Balana can apparently invent time travel inside of like minutes. <laughs> well, she doesn't invent time she travel. She does. No. She invents time travel. Like she makes a time turner inside of like 10 minutes. You know, for me that was one of the more frustrating parts of this episode. Well, I don't think she's inventing a time-turner. It's obviously they explain it, and it's part of that wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey thing that I was talking about in the the synopsis. Basically, they explain there's this, like, wave-funnel thing, and obviously Janeway's at one end of it. They're at the other end of it. And what they're doing is they're sending a pulse that opens it up wider so they can... Yeah, okay, she's inventing a time-turner, but... I imagine that the script read something like, insert technical jargon here, right? Like, I'm pretty they sure. They just completely, like... <laughs> none of, I mean, and it's like whole sections of the... Of the script are just like blah 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 time blah 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 time blah blah jargon blah 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 funnel yeah. blah 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 okay, here's the machine okay. blah blah blah. I get what and you're the, saying. And that, that to you're me, oversimplifying it. No, I'm yeah, not yes. because there was there was literally were it was just like hoobly hobbly hoobly hobbly time hoobly hobbly hoobly yeah. blooby blooby hobbly blue. Well, so they have to come up with something that makes that 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 like nerds will sit and go. Yeah, that makes sense. Nothing about it makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense. Just open your mind. <laughs> no, I can't. I mean, like, like it's one of those things where, like, 
part of the charm of something like Doctor Who is yeah. when they sort of go into, you know, they go into these explanations that don't make any sense sense to anybody but the doctor but that's part of the point right is that like he's the only one that gets it and he makes some snarky comment about what it is right and nobody knows and we're all just supposed to sort of laugh but part of this sort of charm of star trek is that you can they go on this long-winded technical jargon explanation and then somebody comes along usually bones and says so you mean it's like that one time when i blew up a balloon and it popped in my mouth like that's you know and and like and then everybody understands and we're all on the same page and so the charm of star trek is what this episode really needed was iced tea on there you know you mean to tell me (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean like it needed somebody to go oh so it's like a blur like that's what it needed and it didn't have that and that was so I mean, they should have had the doctor come in and explain I feel like everything. That's something that, I feel like that's something that Star Trek post-TOS uh, really misses out on. Like, Bones coming in and going, so it's sort of like that they, one they time that a, I hit a donkey and he pooped real of, hard. They like, need somebody who's kind of folksy on there who yeah. doesn't quite get it, that they can explain it to. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, obviously, you know, if they probably... I, I guess, you know, let's put Kess in every... every. Kess would have been the perfect person yeah, to go up and so... Then you'd have to oh, talk so to Kess. So. that one time, like when I planted a tomato, and instead of a tomato, yeah. I got a zucchini? Like, that... Exactly. Yeah, like, no, that would have been that would have been better, but, you know, uh, we didn't get that, and... It didn't make sense. Yeah. And it, it didn't, didn't make sense. sense. It didn't make sense to you, but uh, oh yeah, I I'm, guess I'm just too. I'm just not smart enough. Yeah, to, I'm clearly. I it. Yeah, you clearly. <laughs> it clearly the time yeah, bit the, went the right that, over my head. Yeah, but one of the things that bugs me, and not really bugs me about it, but it's worth noting with this episode, is you get this closed loop of time, that one of the one of the reasons that it kind of sets this episode outside of the story arc of Voyager because you don't get any growth in the characters because of it uh, because they're it essentially doesn't happen for them you know yeah no I totally agree I mean that, that, that that's part of the reason I struggle with this episode too is because it's like here's an opportunity I mean you made the point earlier that Janeway this is a really good time for her to find out what the prime directive really mm-hmm. means um, or how or how it is that she can, you know, use the Prime Directive or shouldn't use the Prime Directive, but actually this she doesn't learn anything because at the end of the episode, we're right back talking about the Delaney twins. You exactly, know, the and, you know, Tom trying to do his Delaney thing, twins. and Harry just really wanting to do some diagnostics. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's dive into the Harry-Kim situation uh, in another episode. Yeah. Um Okay, so uh, the one thing I wanted to say about this episode, well, I'll, I'll let you talk about it because you had mentioned it earlier, and I, I think it's something worth, I think it maybe is the one thing that, about this episode that makes it worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Which is? The nuclear power element. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it is. The nuclear power element of this, It's it's got a really interesting thing here where Star Trek, or at least the writers of this episode, are making a bit of a statement or at least they're trying to make a commentary on um the new the protests against nuclear power plants you know the eco-terrorists who are going and trying to sabotage them or whoever was trying to sabotage the nuclear power plants back in the day 
um, you get these really great scenes where you know you have these people clashing with the protesters, which kind of leads Janeway and Paris into that whole uh, fiasco with the eco-terrorists. Um, it, it's, I think it, it tries really hard to make a really interesting commentary on it, and I think it does to an extent. It makes this commentary that, you know, if you play with stuff like this the wrong way, um, you could really get yourself in trouble, you know? Yeah, I... I I actually agree that this is maybe the one thing that the episode did well. Um, I disagree with the message. Um, I'm actually pro-nuclear power um, well, yeah, for a lot wait, of reasons. Wait, wait, but hang on. But what do you think the message was? My thought was that, you know, corporations get their hands on nuclear power and it's going to end up causing or, like, costing us big time, uh-huh. you know. And, and, and sort of, you know, seemingly pointing to nuclear disasters yeah. to back up that claim. Um Okay. Which you know, I mean, because we're thinking the whole time that the 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 eco terrorists are the reason for this rift, or the reason rather the reason for this um, you know explosion. explosion. But as it turns out, I mean, they were smart enough to know that no, we would we would never do that. We're just trying to prove a point. We're I'm just going to melt down. Yeah. They're, well, they're, it, it looked like to me that they were about to like pull out some spray cans and you know paint an anarchy sign. Like they were you know as as little damage as possible. Um, yeah. You know, to, to get these guys to shut down, and instead, you know, it's the instability of the product itself that causes the problem, right? Well, no, no, I, don't I mean, think it's necessarily the instability of the product itself. I think it is. You know, the the thing, the message that they come up with is that it's Voyager tampering, which causes it. It's you know, Bolana's you know beam ray that you know. Well, right, but whatever it, it, that causes the problem, um, which, in my opinion, the message because of that wasn't okay you know this product is instable instable you know we need to shut it down it the the message to me was you know when you when you think if you're not careful with something it is going to be dangerous but in the hands of somebody who knows what they're doing like this unnamed company that was running that power plant like, they were running it. It was powering the city. Nobody had a problem with it. It wasn't a problem until a bunch of eco-terrorists went in there, bringing Janeway along with them, and, you know, Bellana trying to rescue Janeway, making the whole thing unstable. But a well-oiled machine, just like a nuclear power plant, if it's well-maintained, if it's well-kept, it's going to keep powering things. It's when people get in there and start, you know, jacking with it is whenever it whenever it breaks down. I, I, I sort of got a very strong, and I mean, this would fit right in with the era in which this um, episode was created, which is the sort of early, or I'm sorry, mid-90s, right? Um, late 90s, but yeah. Okay. Um, this Yes, yeah. This So this was, there was a strong anti-nuclear, um, you know, group, and st- still is, a, a group of people who are just totally anti-nuclear power. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, and, you know, this is sort of outside the purview of this debate, but I, I think while I, what I gathered from this episode was that it was sort of going along with the anti-nuclear power crew, and I didn't necessarily, I, I thought that they did a good job with it. And I, I think that maybe this mm-hmm. is the one thing about the episode that I felt like, you know, there was a message there, it was a relatively strong message, um... And they did so in a manner that was, 
a little heavy handed, um, but overall pretty good. I I would argue. Yeah, I think it was very in your face with that message. Uh, they were definitely like, "Oh, hey, look what we're talking about." Um, but I yeah, think, oh, I think like you said, yeah, they did a really good job delivering the message. I thought so too. I thought so too. Okay, it's time for Trek News. Awesome! I love much. I love our Trek News segment. Yeah, I do too. It's actually. Me, it gives us a chance to like catch up on what's going in the going on in the world of Trek. Yeah. So what's going on in the world of Trek? What do you got? Uh, well, um, <laughs> uh, this one's actually nothing big. It's, it's actually kind of embarrassing for Star War, Star Trek, and Star Wars fans. But apparently, wait, 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 wait. More embarrassing than wearing child costumes out in public on a regular basis because okay. yes okay typically here's the thing typically as star wars and star trek fans at least as star trek fans we're a little more evolved we, we try not to resort to are you saying that star trek fans are more evolved than star wars fans Seriously, do you want to have this argument? This is that's how, kind of what my news. This is about. how this is how these this sort of this sort of thing starts. Is, this is, is what my news story by statement. Like, we're me, more involved. Generation. I'll start. Go ahead. Let me get through the story before you okay, start interrupting fine. me, lady. So here's the thing. Apparently, and of course, it's in Oklahoma City. Uh, <laughs> two fellas were having an. Let's put it. A lively debate about which is better, Star Trek or Star Wars. Well, apparently, one of them uh, said something to the effect of, uh, you want to, or what was it? Um, let's see here. Let me look in the article. It's like, uh, you just a trick. And then the one fella punched the other person and then he turned around and said you want to replay that and then it got into a full on fisticuffs brawl where the cops were called and they were taken to jail and of course when the cops asked what started the fight <laughs> they had to tell them you know while well, we were arguing over which is better Star Trek or Star Wars and of course that information had to make it to the news so yeah, everybody no, I, now knows about this I, I've maybe felt like getting into fisticuffs over that kind of argument but mm-hmm. typically I I, it, it, I have to say that the debates that we've had and debates that I've had with other people have have maintained good spirit let's be nice to each other shall we folks yeah, let's, let's just be nice let's just Even agree we know Star Trek is far superior to Star Wars let's just be Ugh, nice to you them. had to throw that in there well, you just no, had to throw that in there okay just don't instigate it if you get some belligerent Star Wars fan that comes up to you and says no okay. Star Wars is better so for all the Star with them. so for all the Star Wars fans that are out there um, you know all the fans of why are that, you listening to a Star Trek podcast? <laughs> uh, probably because they're similar fandoms because they're do- both talking about space and space mm-hmm. is awesome. Uh-huh. Um, so for all you Star Wars fans out there, if you encounter a stuck up Star Trek fan who thinks he knows everything about the Federation and can list to you all the different names of all the different planets in the Federation uh, and wants to quote the Prime Directive to you, just remember to take a deep breath the force is with you it will be okay so let's yeah. be nicer to one another please uh there's way too much uh uh let's say um 
BS in the world for us to be mm. fighting about something like this. It's all about space, and space is cool. And let's just like yeah. agree that space I'm is cool. I'm just gonna go ahead and say that you never see Star Trek fans going to a Star Wars convention just to taunt people. Yeah. Anywho, what do you got for Trek news? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Just had to go there, didn't you? Just uh, had yeah, to go there. Yeah. Um, okay, so actually I've got some some better news. I just wanted to note that the Star Wars fan is taking the higher road in this case. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> I've got some interesting Trek news, kind of related to what we talked about with Trek news last time, which is mm-hmm. that um, the creator of uh, Discovery, Star Trek Discovery, um, is assuring... Uh, riled fan bases that Discovery is going to maintain continuity with the universe, with the Star Trek universe. Thank you. You know, I was having some real anxiety. Me about too. That. <laughs> me too. Um, I what I find ironic is that the article, um, which comes from Screen Rant, um, that has this also has a photo of one of the Klingons that they're using. Um, from the new Discovery yeah. as like the headliner and it's like maintains continuity except here's this thing that is not continuous at all. Yeah. Uh, so um, anyway, I, I think I, I, I am I am trying really hard to be optimistic about Star Trek Discovery I but I am struggling more and more daily. Um, it, it does have some problems, but I feel when, like that once it comes out, we're gonna we're gonna put all that aside, and we're gonna enjoy it. When the creator has to come out and say it's gonna be fine, guys, that's when I start to get really well, worried. That's what. To, here's the thing: they did that with um, they did that with the new Star Trek movies, and at least with the first two, people loved them. You know, they were they were. Brilliant. We're gonna get to the star. We're gonna get to the Star Trek movies. Yeah, people still love them. Don't don't bash them. Just I'm not. You didn't no, love them. this is not about this is not about me just not liking them. This is about their let's say relationships to Star Wars and and JJ okay, Abrams. Because JJ Abrams also directed. You know what? That's a totally different argument. Okay, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get there. Argument. We'll get there. I'm just saying. They I were good I'm, I'm in fear. I'm in fear of the gritty Star Trek reboot, and I don't want a gritty Star Trek reboot. I want my shiny bridge with my shiny officers and their shiny uniforms. Gotcha. Um, you know, if I want gritty, I go to Star Wars. That's what yeah. Star Wars is for. It's literally gritty because they have sand because they're on Tatooine. Yeah. You know, um, Star Wars is about, or Star Trek rather, is about shiny things. Mm-hmm. I like shiny things sometimes. So, Fair enough. You know, I just I just want that known. <laughs> um but yeah, I so okay. So the creator is assuring us that the continuity is going to be the same. We'll just see. I'm just gonna. Yeah, I'm just we'll, gonna we'll see what goes on maintain there. cautious, um, Roddenberry and optimism. Um, okay, so let's move on to. Technology. Uh, I've got one thing for technology this time around. I've got one thing for technology as well. You want to go first? Yeah. Um, so uh, they just beamed a photon into space. What? I don't. Well, they teleported. They didn't. They didn't beam it because they're not. Well, they're probably Star Trek fans. But yeah. if we're really honest with ourselves, um, it's a Chinese yeah. company <laughs> called Mik. I'm probably pronouncing this wrong. Mikus Miku. It's M I C U I S. Okay. Anyway, um, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Uh, but they they just they teleported a photon 
Um, I read the article from MIT that described what's involved in that, and I would be lying if I said I understood Mm -hmm. even a percentage of what it was that they did. Um, Something about photonic entanglements. Yeah, that that sounds and like a thing. And how that they basically like I don't know, something about mm-hmm. how they copy the photon to the other photon and it essentially becomes the photon and then anyway, if you're really interested, there's a really good article mm-hmm. and I'm sure very understandable for somebody that understands quantum physics on MIT's website. Um, but suffice it to say that puts us one photon closer to wow. teleportation. I'll tell you what, I'll go ahead and read it and try to explain it to you later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I get it. Thanks. Come on. Like I get it. Come on. I don't understand quantum physics. I yeah, I'm right. being a smart aleck. Right. Um, yes. <laughs> yes, you are. Okay, well, what's your technology? Well, my technology, like always, is a toy that I want. Um, <laughs> I should just so, write down this list for Christmas. Uh, this is not something I'll ever have. Oh, own. okay. Um, it's $1,600. So, oh, well, hmm. probably never buy it for myself. Yeah, right. um, uh, if we don't expect very, it anytime soon. Yeah, no. I mean, if, if we get a listener who has a lot of money and, and they, they, they want to give me this, I'll, I'll gladly accept it. Um, but it is the, uh, apparently it's, uh, the company Red, they make, um, the high definition cameras that basically are used in, um, you know, Almost every like sci-fi movie, every uh, you know high de- movie that needs high definition cameras these days, uh, they are developing an Android phone uh, that is, like I said, going to be sixteen hundred dollars for the titanium model. Um, but basically, the big draw of this phone is it has a three D screen on it. What? So yeah, no, it's gonna have. It's called the Red Hydrogen. Go ahead, take a take a look. Look it up. I'm I'm reading this off of uh, Ars Technica, but it's going to have a special auto stereoscopic 3D display. Um, basically, How, what, uh, do you have to wear glasses? Um, I, it's basically trying to say that it's going to be kind of holographic in the way. Uh, in the way that it does it, I don't know. It doesn't really holographic. Say. Yeah, I mean, it was a really interesting. The headline basically was, you know, you know, holographic phone on the horizon, basically. So I read as I read the article, I kind of saw the word Wait, holographic and was like, "Is it gonna be like?" Yeah. Is it gonna be like? Um, Help me, Obi Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. That's kind of what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is kind of cool. I would totally be on so board with that. So it's really more of a like Star Wars technology than okay. a Star Trek technology because they don't really have holograms in Star Trek. Except for, you know, the holodeck. The holodeck and holograms are totally different things. Okay, um, then go ahead and explain to me the little hologram that Riker is watching right before they go pull up to Pacific, Planet Pacifica with the two women playing the harp, and he's sitting there kind of pervily looking at them. <laughs> Those are holograms, and they are holograms on the 
hollow deck. I understand so, that they are on the hollow deck. It's not the same thing as a hologram. Hologram is very different. Yeah, you're right. Holograms in Star Wars are all grainy and weird. Like, you know, they couldn't be bothered to make an actual hologram. Probably because it was like a thousand years ago as opposed to Star Trek, which is supposed to be a thousand years in the future or whatever. Yeah, but we're always encountering species in Star Trek that have lived for thousands of years before. That have baller technology. That's that what I'm super, saying. Is it like Star so. Trek should have amazing technology? They're like a bajillion years in the future. Yeah. Star Wars is like a bajillion years in the past, and they're way more advanced. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, <laughs> just saying. Uh, yeah. Okay, so, yeah. I mean, that sounds cool. Uh, it's really exciting. Yeah, no, I'd be totally on I board mean, with it's, that. It's really, I kinda, yeah. I, I'll never... I'll never have one. I'll, yeah, I'll never get to play Well, until, one. you know, a decade from now when it's like cheap enough to own. <laughs> yeah, sure. um okay cool Uh, so uh that's pretty much all i got um any recommendations i yeah let's do some truck um yeah so actually i i have a funny sort of you're gonna think this is crazy but it's totally Uh related uh or trek lated um (laughs) yeah you said you did that yeah yeah. Uh, so my recommendation is actually a kid show called Clangers. Um, okay. So the backstory to Clangers is that it was a British television show that was made by like a husband and wife team in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a stop motion animation and the wife knitted the sweaters, like these tiny little sweaters for these tiny little aliens called clangers, and they speak in whistles. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's the backstory is absolutely one of the most adorable things you've ever heard. Cool. Um, anyway, so they became sort of popular. Um, Michael Palin from um, uh, Monty Python, of Monty Python fame. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he also did some travel, really cool travel uh, series um, in the, like, 80s and 90s, but um, he was uh, the narrator for this. Um, anyway, so... Clangers has seen a revival, thanks to, of course, Netflix, um, in the mm-hmm. last couple of praise years. Be to Netflix. Yep, yeah, <laughs> praise be. Um, uh, Net. Anyway, so they they basically redid the stop motion animation. the uh-huh. The plot line is that there are these little sort of kind of mouse like aliens that speak in whistles and live on this planet um, with a soup dragon, and it's really weird and sort of off the wall, but it's totally adorable um the treklation the relationship to star trek (laughs) is that the narrator is no longer michael palin it is william shatner nice yeah and it's i um scour netflix uh for cool kid shows because we have a, a young son um who is not quite of tv watching age yet but will be very soon and i'm trying to pick out the shows that i can tolerate um yeah and the ones that aren't gonna like turn his brain into goop well it's just it's not just the goop part it's the there are some out there that just have the most obnoxious sounds you've ever heard and so anyway this is i am recommending it uh for a kid show uh but i'm also recommending it if you um, like William Shatner and if you like stop motion animation this is a cool mm-hmm. kind of show that you can watch it's goofy and weird but I think kind of cool so um, that's my recommendation do you have any recommendations I do and it's nothing to do with Star Trek and it's you know it's actually just to kind of become a more informed citizen really um, I've been listening to lately in the mornings because uh, I get up at the ungodly hour of 530 in the morning I know some of you probably get up a lot earlier but uh, one of the things I do to try to 
you know, be informed and to get ready for the day is, you know, listen to a little bit of news. Uh, I've started listening to the podcast Up First from NPR. It's about 10, 15 minutes uh, typically, and it just kind of gives you the rundown of like the main big headline stories. Um, and it's it's kind of nice just to, you know, get a little bit of information. So whenever you hear people at work talking about this, that or the other, you're you're not you're not running to your computer to look on the new look on the news feed to see what's going on you actually get a chance to to kind of join in on the on the conversation and you know uh be informed it's helpful too because a lot of times you listen to news podcasts and there's so much commentary oh i know it's all editorialized this it's kind of like just here's the facts but they don't do it in such a boring dry way it's it's actually kind of they kind of entertaining. They give you the fact, then they give you kind of a little bit of a rundown of it, like what that what implications are. And of course, it's NPR, so it's it tries to stay as uh, neutral as possible. But you know, it is it's really it's really nice. Cool. Yeah. Um, that's that's great. Uh, so I just want to remind our listeners very quickly that we uh, do have a Twitter feed. It is Trekin T R E K K I N. Awesome. Uh, so hit us up there, uh, maybe at Trekkin, as it were. Um, mm-hmm. uh, hit us up there. Uh, we do occasionally tweet. Um, I, in fact, I'll probably tweet tonight uh, about uh, finishing up one podcast and starting this this one. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, we also have our uh, Facebook, which is mm-hmm. Trekkin Awesome uh, dot Facebook dot com. Yep. Uh, and uh, yeah, so hit us up. Let us know that you're listening. Um, exactly. It's 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 great for us to hear. We'd love some feedback, and maybe yeah. you can give us a. Uh, an idea of who yeah. won this ridiculously long debate about the Prime Directive. Good God. It really should just be a Prime Directive. We should just call this one the Prime Directive episode where we just argue about it. Because we brought in we brought in every series. I we think. really did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one one other little, little bit of information. We're going to have a couple of episodes lined up and edited to kind of try to release over the next couple of weeks. But if it gets to a point, what's happening here is one of us, the more masculine of us, is going off to... Uh, AT with their National Guard unit. Spoiler alert, it's not me. Um, <laughs> but uh, so uh, my lovely wife, Libby here, is going to be gone for two weeks. So we're going to try to, you know, record a couple of episodes in advance and, and get them out kind of spaced along the timeline, so to speak. But, you know, if it turns out where, you know, we get swamped and we can't, uh, we might be off for about a week or so. So uh, just, you know, keep coming back keep checking we'll, we'll we'll let you know as as they as they show up <laughs> nothing will stop us rain nor shine no nor annual training <laughs> yeah <laughs> um all right so uh trek and a trek and a every category nothing is my homework when my teacher's not looking don't spy pray when i'm playing fear dog dad is so fine he's happy all the time he wants the dog in the rain and the shine because it don't blame me